Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. The Athletic. Two bids have been made that could bring an end to 18 years of the Glazer family ownership of Manchester United. Both spark controversy, both deserve scrutiny, both have managed to divide a fan base with a proud history of resisting takeovers which threaten the values of the club. As United fans wrestle with the true cost of success in the Premier League in 2023, the league itself watches on as geopolitical battle lines are drawn in the back garden. Who are the men behind these bids, the teams behind these bids? Does the Premier League have any power to intervene? And did we learn anything from a World Cup in Qatar? I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. There's still people that say to me they they suspect this has been a big fishing expedition. It's not necessarily a sale, it's a process and we're going forward with the process. So we'll see what happens. He's got a bit of a penchant for trying to revive. Uh, famous old labels. He'd love to buy Man United. He'd love to buy the most famous British football team and make them great again. They spent two hundred billion pounds on a World Cup, you know, six, seven, eight billion for for the crown jewel of football to be constantly in the conversation about Premier League football is a price worth paying. You didn't say anything about Man City, but we did. You didn't say anything about Newcastle, we did. It should never have happened. United should never need an Abramovich or a sovereign wealth fund. But I understand the perception now that they do because the Glazers have been that bad. So with us for this one, senior football news reporter Matt Slater and our Manchester United correspondent Laurie Whitwell. Let's deal with the two bids so far and the two men fronting them. Laurie, do you want to take the Qatari one? Let's go for it, yeah. Because um, the Qatari one was the unknown, I suppose, before Friday's soft deadline. We knew that Sir Jim Ratcliffe was going to make a bid. He'd, he'd come out and said so in a statement. Um, and we'd heard reports that the Qataris were, were going to do something as well, uh, but it wasn't clear exactly who it would be. So when the press release dropped on sort of Friday evening and we were told it was Sheikh uh, Yassim, um, who was doing it through his... Uh, 9-2 foundation which I think is a fairly new construct um, we had to kind of go and make some calls and, and try and find out who this person was and, and how he was 
individually wealthy enough to uh, buy Manchester United because that is the um, story that we're told that he is doing it through his own private wealth. And although you know, he is Qatari and, and he's part of the uh, you know, large royal family that there is there, that he's doing it you know, privately and it's not state-backed. Now, obviously, we've we've done more research on that and, and Matt's written a really good piece today about the links with the Qatar government. So his father is HBJ, who is the former prime minister of Qatar and he's very close with the former emir, uh, Sheikh Hamad, they, they were kind of key figures in Qatar being a, a bigger global player. So they made investments in uh, properties in London, in New York. Uh, HBJ was part of the creation behind Qatar Airways. So that's what we're told is, is you know, there is genuine private uh, investment there from, from the father. How that then uh, trickles down to the son. Matt's done a really good piece on how it all works out and um, it brings big questions for Manchester United, you know, because this is clearly, you know, the Emir wanted... Qatar to invest in the Premier League and Manchester United are the crown jewel in you know the the most watched uh, division in the world, and so how will that relationship show itself as the as the weeks and months go on if Qatar is successful? So that's one bid. The other the other definite bid is the Jim Ratcliffe Ineos one, Matt. Yeah, probably do that one a bit quicker because Jim Ratcliffe is a is a more well known, recognised figure, I think, to our audience. Um, you know, he he made his wealth through this very large conglomerate called Ineos, petrochemicals company that he put together in the 90s. Uh, local lad, born and raised in, in Oldham, humble origins, smart bloke, incredible career, really. Yeah, Ineos, you know, bring their own baggage, petrochemicals, you know, oil, but their products are everywhere. Uh, medicines, packaging, real everyday stuff, to be honest. As he's got a bit older, he's moved into, let's say, more you know, consumer sort of stuff. Sport being you know, the obvious one. I'll get to that in a moment. But um, he's trying to revive the 4x4 Land Rover Defender with this Ineos Grenadier. Uh, hand sanitizers during COVID did really well for him. He's got a fashion label. He's got a bit of a penchant for trying to revive uh, famous old labels. And uh, he is a something of a patriot. You know he's backed the America's Cup bid, the British, the British sailing uh, entry in that in that competition. He bought Team Sky, the very successful British cycling team. Uh, loves football, loves sport. He's bought a couple of football teams already, well three actually. So the first one was Lausanne Sport, where Ineos had its headquarters at the time. They've since moved it back to London. Um, he bought OGC Nice. They're the most high-profile football team he owns. He's had them for three years, I think. Um, and he's bought a team in the Ivory Coast as well, very much sort of a, a multi-club play there. But everyone will remember his bid, his late bid for Chelsea, which I think is quite an interesting part of this story. Um, he's got a place in Mayfair. He moved personally to Monaco uh, a few years ago for tax reasons. Again, part part of the story. Uh, and he goes, you know, he, he gets his football fix when he's in London at Chelsea. But he has always, and I think this is, you know, true and, you know, do- well-documented, He's a Man United fan. He'd love to buy Man United. He'd love to buy the most famous British football team and make them great again. Just on the nuts and bolts of this, the the Qatari offer is for the full 100% of the club, isn't it, Laurie? The Ratcliffe offer is for the 69% controlling stake so far, Matt, of the Glazers. I think people are sort of racing ahead a little bit here with what they think the Qatar bid is, what they think both bids are. 
They were indicative Because we're at a very, very soft stage at the moment. Very soft we? stage. We've got a couple of statements, right? And people yeah. have projected what they want from the prospective bidders onto those very, very short statements. Now, of course, our job as journalists is then to sort of interrogate their spokespeople and say, can you tell us a bit more? And we've been able to get a tiny bit more out from both camps. And that is that Radcliffe has said, Rain Group, this process is about selling the Glazer's stakes. That's what it's about, putting up the Glazer's stakes. And yes, I want to buy all of them. I want to buy the Glazer's out. And that would get him 69% of the company. Now, they have about 97% of the vote, or 98 I think it's actually 99% of the vote, because they have these Class B shares that are super shares that have 10 times the voting rights of Class A shares. Now, when there's a change of control, if you buy the Glazers out, those shares become A shares. They lose their superpower, okay? But he would still have 69% of the company. And what he's effectively saying, though, of course, he's not saying it, but what he's intimating is, I'm fine with that. 69%, that's what I'm buying. So that's my bid. I may well, at some point down the line, buy all the institutional investors who have shares via New York Stock Exchange out. We'll go through that full takeover process and take the company private if if need be. But at the moment, I don't need to. Now, what the Qatar bid is saying, and again, I think it's because they're hitting the notes that they think the fans want to hear, is, yeah, we'll buy the lot. Now, I believe them, but they've not explained how they would do that. That is a complicated process that would take the, the bid, the amount of money they're spending, up considerably. So we don't have a, we have an apples and pears comparison at the moment because they're not talking about how they would do this. Though Radcliffe has said, no, I'm just trying to buy the, the Glazers shares. And, and also within the mix here, Laurie, is another party who have said they would be part of the process, which is, uh, that's Elliot Group, isn't it? Is it Elliot yeah. Group, Matt? Is that what they're yep. called? Yeah, yeah. That, and that's Elliot Group who are basically offering funding to help people. Is that right? They've even offered funding for the Glazers to stay, potentially, which is the kind of big uh, dynamite stick in amongst all this, <laughs> for, for, as far as the fans are concerned. Um, I mean, they would absolutely loathe that prospect. Um but yeah, they are they are offering funds. You know, they they are an investment firm. We can look at them as well. You know, they they deserve scrutiny if they end up uh, putting money into the club because some of their practices across the globe. I think you can look at and, and wonder if that is you know the most ethical way to do finance. Um, you know, maybe Sir Jim Ratcliffe needs a bit more money for his bid. You know, Elliot could potentially link up with him. Uh, there's some suggestions that you know Ratcliffe might be on the lookout for that kind of thing. Um, but. Yeah, we don't know yet. Again, it's it's so indicative. And as Matt sort of says, we don't know the details of this. So it's difficult to kind of unpick it absolutely. But what we can do is talk in, in general terms about the kind of people that are making these bids and what they've done previously and how that might then impact Manchester United. Do you think, and I'm asking you to look into a crystal ball here, Laurie, and then Matt can follow up. As this season progresses and the more successful Manchester United appear to be, the more some kind of investment that allows the Glazers to stay would be the most appealing to the Glazers. Yeah, you're not the first person to say that to me. People that know them, you well, know, know Laurie, how they we've work. Well, Laurie, Laurie, we've worked together long enough to know that I'm not original, right? So come on. <laughs> you, are you wearing a Manchester Originals top? 
No, I know I'm not. No, no, I'm not. I'm just wearing a gym top. Oh, I have right. a Manchester Originals photo no, in the background. Sorry. But that's a I thought it was, I thought it was, a, I thought so, it was a, a, an advert. Mark. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, but my point, actually, uh, uh, Chappers, was more that you are of a level of understanding that you know people uh, who have a good grasp of these things uh, are, are telling me. So the attraction of Manchester United being successful under Eric Ten Hag and the Glazers, you know, wanting to be a part of that, or, or rather specifically Joel and Avram uh, wanting to be part of that. That. It's a live issue, I think. You know, we'll we'll see. There's, there's still people that say to me they you know, suspect this has been a big fishing expedition, and you know, sort of sensing the market. There are other people that say they have a very set uh, price in mind, and and certainly, you know, Joe Ravitch at Rain has a, has a set price in mind, and if that isn't met, then they will walk away. Whether that's just a negotiation tactic, I don't know. It could well be. You know, you're not going to accept the first offer you'd think for, you know, a football club. You know, you you wouldn't necessarily for your house, which is kind of like the equivalent um analogy, I suppose, that you can draw. But yeah, I mean six six billion is, is one price that I've been told that is is what they would want. And I don't think yet that the Qataris and Sir Jim Ratcliffe are there. So is that just the Glazers holding that there as a uh, sort of carrot so that they, they can sort of keep in control of the club, if they do get this Elliot proposal and, and they do find that appealing. Um, yeah, I, I do think that Eric Ten Hag, though, is working wonders at Manchester United. So, you know, if Joel and Avram are looking at thinking, actually, we quite like the shine of, of some silverware, I don't think that's something that we can discount. Mm. Well, I think Laurie's mentioned all the key bits. I mean, the only things I'd add are, again, just the amount of uncertainty in this entire process and just the numbers that people are all banding around, us journalists, but, but fans, and we're, we're all doing it. And what what do the Glazers mean, or what what do we think they mean when they say they want a minimum of six? Right, because it was six to eight at one point. I've seen all kinds of wild figures. Do they mean for their shares? Is that the enterprise value of the entire club? So I need to explain enterprise value because that's how most people, most business people, would price something like a football club. That is the price of the shares plus the debt. Right. Is, is that what this is? Do they, they, are they saying it has to be a minimum of six billion enterprise value for for United? Because that's probably about five billion, maybe a bit more. Five and is it is it pounds? Is it dollars? <laughs> you know, it's, it's quite a significant difference. Mm-hmm. So these numbers that are being thrown around are a little bit meaningless, which is why I keep going back to the three. I, I think there are three things on the record that we need to just really like read again. The two statements from the bidders, and I've sort of reminded people already, just it's not much. It's, I don't know, half a dozen sentences from both. And the original statement from Manchester United, I urge people to go back and read it, the strategic alternatives. And in there, they make it quite clear. We may well look for financing. The people I speak to all the time about takeovers, particularly on the American side, particularly people who know them, through the NFL. Just watch these guys. They, they might not sell. They might not sell at all. So just and I and I have I've kind of my my feelings on that have gone up and down a bit. They're going back up again at the moment. Because I don't think getting two declared bidders, one let's say the Qataris have some baggage and, and some hurdles to clear. And I you know they I think they may well clear those 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 hurdles. Uh, and the other one is a a value guy who's going to lean heavily on the sort of, you know, the British car, but he's a value guy. He's not going to be talked into raising the bid a penny higher than he thinks he, he, can, he can go. That is not the auction that Rain and the Glazers really hoped for 
I also think we should reflect on Adam Leventhal's great get in Doha, which was Avram Glazer outside the stadium. And he said, how's the sale process going? And Avram replied to him saying, It's not necessarily a sale, it's a process, and we're going forward with the process. So we'll see what happens. How much do you read into a snippet of a conversation? But it felt like that was a kind of a point which he wanted to make. And, and we are told that Avram and Joel, there's been this divide between the siblings. The other four have kind of wanted to cash in their chips for a long, long time. Um, have seen the value of the club kind of go up and then go down. And obviously now it's at its highest, I think, ever maybe. Um, the share price keeps going up because people are anticipating a sale and are trying to get a little bit of extra for their book. Because I suppose if you know if they buy a share now, I don't know what it is at the moment, but over twenty dollars, and then the, uh, the the buyer comes in and those shares suddenly are valued at you know twenty three, twenty four, twenty five dollars, and they've made a profit, haven't they? Instantly, if if they then do end up selling uh, their shares, which are you know the extra bit from the Glazers, so the Glazers own sixty nine percent, and other investors um, own thirty one percent. So mm. um, yeah, but this all started last summer when. Joel and Avram were trying to find finance to buy out their siblings. That was the whole thing. Uh, they had talks with Apollo um, and then they they weren't successful in that endeavour. So then they've had to kind of put a public statement out and, and have this kind of process to to give people encouragement that they, they might sell. And they might, yeah, they might sell. The Qataris clearly want the club in a big way and, and maybe ultimately money talks and they, they can go higher than, than what they're at at the moment. You'd surely suspect that. So maybe this is all just part of the... The, the unruffling of that particular process. Given um, given what happened with Chelsea, Matt, mm. are you surprised there doesn't appear to be more of a bun fight for Manchester United? Or does the lack of that bun fight indicate the difficulty of dealing with these owners when there, were, there was no question that Chelsea had to go to somebody? Yeah, I, th- I think you, yeah, it's a good question. And um, clearly the Chelsea process influence both Man United and Liverpool, who we don't think we've mentioned yet, but are clearly part of this. And the fact that so many other Premier League clubs are kind of for sale, in that Chelsea created losers. And that's great because you had serious American money, and that was all nearly, nearly, the whole process was nearly all American money, who didn't get the big ticket, the big trophy asset they wanted. Great. Well, there's a couple more come on the market. What, what was it? Six months later. And yet, the mood seems to have changed really quickly. The other thing about Chelsea was that it appeared to set a new valuation metric for Premier League teams closer to NFL teams, where they always talk about a, a multiple of revenue. And one of the, the knocks, if you like, one of the, the, the downsides about European football is this relegation. So uh, European football teams, broadly speaking, were not getting the same valuation metric as as NFL, NBA, MLB teams because of this sort of revenue uh, value shredding threat of relegation. But look, of course, the big six aren't getting relegated and people have realised that now. And, you know, their, their revenues are massive and the eyeballs around the world are massive. They are they are bigger, they have bigger ceilings than even NFL teams. So Chelsea appear to sort of reset the valuation in a, in a positive way. But I think things have changed. The first is that the global economy is not great. Whilst Qatar and sovereign wealth funds don't have to worry about interest rates, Everybody else does, even US billionaires. They borrow money. They move money around. That's how they became billionaires. So interest rates are important. And I think probably the other thing is, people think Bowley and Clear Lake overpaid for Chelsea. They're they're watching and they're thinking, hmm, a little bit of, uh, 
I don't know, rational exuberance there. You've got maybe a little bit carried away and you've, you just paid too much. And maybe we need to reset the values a bit. And if we immediately then piled into Man United and Liverpool at a multiple of Chelsea, well, the game's gone. So let's let's retrench a bit. So I think it's a, it's a, the timing has changed. The, the, the mood has changed. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ian Irving here, host of the world's biggest Manchester United podcast, Talk of the Devils, brought to you by The Athletic, of course. It's the most exciting week of football for the club in years, with another league victory teeing up the Barcelona second leg and the League Cup final on Sunday. So make sure you join me, Andy Mitten, Laurie Whitwell and Carl Anker for this week's episodes. There's Takeover Talk in there, of course, too. Just search for Talk of the Devils on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts. The mood of the United fan base, Laurie, is what? Because if the Glazers were to stay, I would imagine all hell breaks loose. Um, if the Qatari bid takes over, you've got, understandably, all the sport washing discussions, human rights records, LGBTQ plus community. If the Radcliffe Ineos bid wins, you've got greenwashing and some of the areas in which they have made their money. For the United fan base, who have no control over who their owners are, they're they're going to have to be doing a lot of soul-searching, stroke-explaining, stroke-defending something that they might not necessarily believe in, or they're going to be furious that the current owners stay. Yeah, I think the the one blanket reaction we can expect is if the Glazers stay, there there will be anger, protests, that will all get revved up again. Aside from that, if there is new owners, I, I you know I, I think there's a divide. Um, but people will probably you know certainly on social media will shout at me and tell me there is no divide. We want the Qataris, um, which has been a kind of theme of this story so far. That you kind of you you post something that's um, sort of just scrutinising a bid or, or talking about a, a bid, and th- there's a kind of a, a great leap all of a sudden to uh, suggest that. That there's an agenda at play, and and that you know if you aren't with the Qataris, you you know you're kind of either a Glazer puppet or you, you know there's some kind of 
you know, let's say it's xenophobia, you know, at play, which isn't the case, but it, it that's the kind of pressures that were being uh, being tweaked in this moment. Um, I think a lot of United fans will see the Qatari bid as the most um, the, the quickest way to the top. You know, the, the wealth that's that's all that matters in sport. Why should we be judged any differently to Man City and Abu Dhabi and Newcastle and Saudi Arabia? Um, you know, personally, I have, I have an issue with that because I think United is a is a particularly special club in the world, and um, it doesn't necessarily need well, it doesn't need state funding to you know, stand on its own two feet. It, it generates enough of its own money to compete um, and spend a lot of money on transfers. It's just that the Glazers have, you know, I called it vandalism um, in in my column uh, the other day. They've taken one point five billion out of the club by you know by by being owners, you know, in interest rates, in dividends, in in in, in putting debt onto the club. So um, it shouldn't really need a sovereign wealth fund. But that's the kind of warped. Uh, you know, sort of perception that there is now. And for some people, fine, they think, okay, we're through the looking glass here. We have to have, to compete, we have to have, a, you know, big money and, and we need a new stadium. It's a lot of money. As Matt touched on there, how much is, is this bid actually going to be? You know, if you actually factor in the debt, which is probably about a billion pounds, somewhere along those lines, in terms of the gross debt, in terms of the transfer money that is owed for future transfers, in terms of the revolving credit facility, which is a new addition that they've had in the last couple of years, which is how they've been buying Anthony and, and other players. And then obviously the stadium, which, you know, by all accounts is going to be, you know, depends on what plan they go with. Um, there are a few on the table, but, you know, a totally new stadium could cost £2 billion. So it's, it's a lot of money and people are looking at the Qatari bid and saying, well, that's the only one that we can really go with then because Sir Jim Ratcliffe's bid is going to have debt involved in it or it's going to be the Qataris who have, you know, untold wealth. We looked at the World Cup, they spent £200 billion on a World Cup, you know, six, seven, eight billion for for the crown jewel of football to be constantly in the conversation about Premier League football is is, is a price worth paying, you'd, you'd think, from, from their perspective. Um, and so, for some people, they don't, they, they wouldn't look at the, the the kind of sports washing element of it. They they think that human rights is is not for them. But I do think that will inevitably become part of the conversation at Manchester United if uh, Sheikh Yassim takes over. Um, but yeah, and the same goes for Jim Ratcliffe. We should you know scrutinise that as well. That, that how he makes his money, um, as, as Matt's touched on, you know, tax affairs, um, fracking. You know, I think we're going to have a piece on that coming out um, at some point where we look at the the ethics of that and. And, I, and these are all, you know, vi- viable questions. Um, I think it's. I think a lot of United fans think that. Well, you know, is there any such thing as a good billionaire? What's the least worst option, really, at this particular moment? And and that's a shame where we've got to with the Glazers because, you know, there was moments in the past when if things had gone differently, could there have been some kind of fan representation? You know, they tried um, with a Japanese bank, Nomura, when. Uh, this is uh, must we're talking about or shareholders united uh, back in 2004-5 tried to get fun- finance to get a fan representation on board we even had the glazers joel talking to the fan advisory board about um new issuance of shares for fans that would have the same voting rights as the glazers you know class b shares and that's kind of been parked basically so there, so there is an element of could you know could this have been different um obviously you know i think we're, we're the horse has bolted on that one now but it is interesting there needs to be some kind of fan statement i think must put out a statement which basically said we need to investigate all bids which i think is fair enough but i, I do wonder as this kind of gathers you know momentum whether uh, you know there needs to be more 
um, force with what sort of fan groups are saying. Because the, the other thing we had was was the uh, the Rainbow Devils group, which had talked about you know the, the, the concerns they have over the bidders, which is obviously a reflection of as you as you mentioned, Chappers, the illegality of, of homosexuality in Qatar. It's interesting, isn't it, Matt? Because we did a podcast last week on what makes a good owner of a football club, which mm-hmm. uh, you can go back and listen to on on your podcast feed. I mean, Laurie's Laurie's asked another good question there, which is: Is there such a thing as a good billionaire? Well, I suppose it's someone who gives who gives it all away, right? You know, it's yeah. You know, I suppose, yeah. If we were doing podcasts on billionaires, right, it would be this person who who makes their money in this incredibly ethical, life affirming way, virtuous way, and then hands it all over, right? Now, that's a pretty high bar. <laughs> you know? mm. From a football point of view, I mean, I, I it's not journalist place, right, to tell Manchester United fans or fans of any club who they would like to buy their club. But I have just observed this debate, and also the Liverpool one, and it it's so fierce and and um, it's got unpleasant quite quickly, and I just find it all. I just find it depressing, and and I know, and uh, I'll, no doubt I'll be called a racist and Islamophobe again. And you know, when you try and I've just had about a year of this covering the Qatar World Cup. Um, I know there are a great many people who have real reservations about uh, Gulf states buying buying important social institutions, right? Buying buying football clubs for purposes of polishing reputations, even divesting their own you know, their own economy, some of the some of the, you know, more more reasonable, more rational explanations. They just have reservations about it. But there is this sense that, well, everyone else is doing it. You know, a sort of helplessness, a well, you didn't, you know, you didn't say anything about Man City. We did. You didn't say anything about Newcastle. We did. You didn't say anything about um, arms arms sales. Well, people did. Uh, yeah, and you sort of like, it's tough. It's tough if you're a football fan. It's tough because you mm. just you just see you see the world and you see this opportunity to make this thing that you love better, quicker, and you think, well, why not? You know, why not? But I know people are troubled by it. I know they are. You made a point, Laurie, about the the sort of commercial might of Manchester United. Do do you think the commercial might of Manchester United and the size of their stadium and their history across the world means that if the Glazers hadn't loaded them with debt, that they would require a super rich owner in, in, in the modern world? Because... Or, or is the nature of football now that even if you are Manchester United and you had no debt and everything was hunky-dory, you would still need a super-rich owner? It's Man City, isn't it? That, that's the that's that's who you compete with in the Premier League. I know Newcastle have come now with, with Saudi Arabia, but I suppose they're having to maybe be a bit slower with it because of the the, the fair play rules now. Um and I suppose PSG, you'd say, um, over in France, you know, <laughs> owned by Qatar. So um, th- there's only a, a few of these clubs that are owned by sovereign wealth funds, uh, really. So th- th- United should have been able to, it, without the Glazers, you know, say, let's say 1.5 billion. <laughs> you know, that is a new stadium, that done and dusted, no problem. Um, over, you know, built over time, um, where they could have done it in a 
a, a gradual way that you know just added to different elements of, of Old Trafford, and so that's what the Glazers have done to Manchester United, where they've 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 you know they've weighed them down. They've they've at the same time as as other clubs have kind of had you know this this um, rocket propulsion um, you know in terms of Man City. But look at Liverpool. You know Liverpool have been owned by FSG, who haven't put money in, but they haven't taken money out, and and they've you know won the title, won the Champions League, kind of consistently challenged, and they've been good at recruitment. That's that's the difference. You know the Glazers have been you know absent owners. You know the the very rarely at Old Trafford, you know, if ever. I think sort of three years ago, I think Avram came to a Barcelona game. I think he came to the Newcastle game, to be fair, when Ronaldo made his, his second debut. Um, but it's not like they have, they've shown any kind of care or affection for the club. So if they had done that in these years previous, then yeah, maybe it would be different and maybe people would have a, a, an alternative perspective on the, the requirement for Qatar to own it. Um, but yeah, I, 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 you just look at how much they've spent on transfers. They've kept pace with Man City. I know that Man City have got this investigation or the charges levelled by the Premier League into the exact uh, you know accounting over the years. Um, so yeah, hold reservation on that a little bit. But they have you know kept pace with Man City's transfer spending. Really, um, it's just that they haven't spent it very well. So you know, and and at the same time they've you know taken dividends out and they've they've had to um, you know refinance debt and, and the. You know, spent money on um, on interest to, to banks. Without all that, and, and with better governance, yeah, United could easily be you know the superpower that it should be. Mm. Well, the, the only thing I'd add to that is we we, we have you know Roman Abramovich spent sovereign wealth fund style money on Chelsea, and you know we shouldn't forget that the Cronkies at Arsenal, uh, very wealthy people. There are other wealthy owners, right? You know, uh, Edens as we're here is at Villa, ludicrously wealthy. So. So, so it's it's not that other clubs haven't had lots of money to spend, and it's also very important to remember that in the FFP era, most clubs are a little bit constrained. There comes a point where it, you can have all the bloody money in the world, but you, you, you're limited by the size of your club plausibly to generate its own money, and that's where kind of that's what that's kind of where City and PSG and those guys are now. The sovereign wealth fund money enabled those guys though to grow very very aggressively very very quickly and of course they have some you know legal issues and some regulatory issues about how they did that but that was that was the impetus it also enables you and i think this is probably a big tick in the team qatar box you can spend what you like on infrastructure so i definitely see the appeal of course i do of a qatari owner and united it wouldn't really change the picture on the pitch that much i don't think but it would massively change it off the pitch in terms of Old Trafford and the training ground. And then, of course, you can generate more revenue. So I suppose the benefits would be a little bit slower, but they would come. I think I think the, the key point, and I completely agree with Laurie, is that the Glazers have been uniquely bad. Of all these wealthy people, of all these big clubs, they are the only ones that have taken money out. United were so far in front of the others. I, I sometimes sort of like struggle. You know, I've written various stories about this. United were streets ahead, streets ahead when the Glazers took over. It's why they did it. They were so far in front of Real, Barca, Bayern, you name it. And they have squandered that off the field lead by not being very good at the things they claim to be good at. They've been ugh, average commercially. They've completely missed the ball. They've, they've, they've dropped the ball on the, on the infrastructure and they've enabled everybody else to catch up and start to surpass them to the point now where United fans 
I think justifiably are like, well, you know, well, we do need something now, right? It should never have happened. United should never need an Abramovich or a sovereign wealth fund. But I understand the perception now that they do because the Glazers have been that bad. Final one, just to throw some other um, unknowns into, into the mix. Thursday is when we expect the government's white paper on independent regulation to, to come out. Will any of that affect this takeover process or will that be, uh, will, an, will an independent regulator still be so far off in the distance that it can't influence this? So I think the, the short answer is no for a few reasons. One, one because we haven't had the white paper yet, right? And there's going to be some, there's going to be a sort of a, a, you know, process of legislation getting it through. I don't think anyone would be expecting a, a regulator with the licensing uh, responsibility in place till about the season 24, 25. So that again could be a reason why all, why both Liverpool, Man United, and Spurs in their sort of soft for sale process have been trying to sort of get this process done, right? To get in before. Uh, and even if, even if there was a regulator with responsibility for a beefed up ODT test, I don't see a problem for either of these two bids because it will ultimately lean on British law, British company law. And neither of these two bids are breaking British company law. So I don't see a problem. So at the moment, Laurie, all Manchester United fans have to do is is wait, really. And you have to go and write an article on fracking, which is, I'm sure, what you got into <laughs> sports journalism for. I like the broad church that we have at The Athletic where it allows us to dive off into different areas, literally. Um, uh, yeah, I think waiting is 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 the uh, is the idea. I mean, there's obviously going to be various reports that come out. Um, I mean, there was one yesterday uh, from Qatar where um, you know, a respected journalist, I'm told, um, was sort of saying that it was a done deal. Uh, you know, you check it out and you're kind of told, no, that's, that's way ahead of where, what we're hearing. So you, you'll get a lot of... Um, kind of reports coming out because it's such a big story that everyone wants to have a, a bite at it. So yeah, United fans will obviously want to just keep on checking um, the news outlets that they get their information from. Hopefully it's us. Um, Rain, I think, do, you know, the Glazers have have projected, you know, a, a sale um, first quarter of this um, year, whether that's a negotiation tactic, whether that's actually what's going to happen. I do know that um, April is kind of like a, a crucial moment for when, I think United will want to have, from a football perspective, their house in order to understand what budget they've got for the summer. So that you're getting into now actually it requiring some kind of resolution because um, otherwise, you know, I mean, maybe they, they could take over in the summer and, and you know, they do a, a kind of late trolley dash. But I think a lot of people are kind of hopeful that it gets resolved one way or the other before then. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a waiting game. There'll be lots of stories written. So it's a really fascinating part of United's history right now. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Laurie. You can subscribe today for just £1.99 a month for a year at theathletic.com slash football pod. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.